right, good morning. Distractions in sound. They will do that. Is mine working? Can you all hear me? It's not. It's not very loud. Can we turn it up? Can it, will it work any better? Because if it won't, then I might have to ask you all to move forward because my voice, can you hear me now? My voice is not quite as loud as Kyle's, but they'll work on it here. Anyway, if you're having trouble hearing me, please move forward. Um, what I'd like to do is have you first turn to Romans chapter 11, and I'd like to remind us something uh, from this chapter that I think is important for us to know. Uh, as we look at our Bibles, it's very clear that God has a specific plan for the nation of Israel. And not every Christian knows that. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul had to address this subject in the book of Romans. And he did that in, in Romans uh, chapter 9, 10, and 11. But if you look at your Bibles and you were to read those three chapters, and we won't this morning... But if you were to look at Romans chapter 8, it would talk about Israel and their past rejection of Jesus Christ as Messiah. If you were to look at Romans chapter 9, you would realize that what Paul is saying in that chapter is that Israel today, Israel present day, that God is working through the nation of Israel. He's also working through the Gentile nations He's using both Jew and Gentile in his redemptive plan. But if you were to look at Romans chapter 11, Paul deals with the issue of Israel in the future. Well, we know that much of Israel today is living in unbelief. They have blinders over their eyes. They rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah, they're still looking for their coming Messiah. But Paul addresses the issue about Israel and their future. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, I say then, has God cast away his people? He's asking a question there. He answers the question, certainly not. He says, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. What, uh, but what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. I believe that God has a purpose of redemption and redeeming all of mankind both Jew and Gentile. But I believe that God is going to, in the future, really 
begin to deal once again during the tribulation period with the nation of Israel. And I, as I've shared in the past, God, I believe, has a specific plan for the nation of Israel through the seven-year tribulation period. Today, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 11, we're going to continue uh, this morning. I titled this message, The Tribulation Temple. We started in Revelation, not started, but we read in Revelation chapter 10 last week. And I shared that Revelation chapter 10 and Revelation 11 to verse 14 is another section of the book of Revelation that's called a parenthetical section of the book of Revelation. That simply means that God, uh, that the narrative stops, the chronology stops for a moment, and then we have this extra information that is inserted into the text. And so we come this morning to Revelation chapter 11. We're just going to be looking at two verses. We know that uh, in this chapter, these two verses, that John is instructed to measure a temple. Remember that John was writing this book of Revelation around 95 AD. Most scholars believe about 95, 96 AD is when this book was written. This, the second temple that we know from history, apart from the Bible, we know from history even, that the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD. That was 25 years earlier before John wrote this letter. As John is being instructed to measure the temple, it lets us know that there wasn't a temple at the time that John was writing, but John is now being instructed to measure a temple. That tells me that there's going to be another temple during the tribulation period that's going to be rebuilt. Now, some people try to spiritualize that and say, well, we're not talking about a literal temple. We're talking about a spiritual temple. And they have a lot of different answers for that. But as I've shared in the past, I'm a literalist. When I read the word of God and it tells me there's going to be a temple and a number of different reasons here. One, John is measuring something. He's called to, to stand up and to take a read and to measure it. And so I believe that John is seeing something there with his physical eyes. Look at your Bibles at verse 1. Then I, John, was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God. Also measure the altar and those who worship there. But leave out, verse 2, but leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they, speaking about these Gentile nations, will tread the holy city, that's Jerusalem, underfoot for 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years. 
What did I share last week at the chronology of where we're at in the book of Revelation right now? Would place us probably somewhere around the middle of the tribulation period. Seven years of tribulation, three and a half years up to this point, and then three and a half years still to remain. We might outline chapter 11 like this. Our text this morning, verse 1 and 2, where John sees a future temple that is going to be rebuilt. In verses 3 to 14, we're going to see next week, uh, John is told of two witnesses uh, who are going to prophesy again, here he says, for 1260 days. And how long is that? Three and a half years. And then the timeline, the third part of this chapter, a timeline begins once again in verse 15. Remember that message that I gave a couple of weeks ago about the kingdoms of this earth becoming the kingdoms of our of the Christ and our Lord Jesus Christ. God is going to take the kingdoms that have been turned upside down by the God of this world, by the world that we live in, and he's going to restore his kingdom here on earth. We're going to read in, uh, that, and that is going to be that third row. Remember, we're still in the trumpet judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, which we're in now, and we still have the bowl or the vile judgments that are to come. But we see that this seventh and final angel is going to blow the trumpet. It's going to produce this loud rejoicing in heaven. The 24 elders, the church that's in heaven, symbolic, I believe, of the church, is going to be rejoicing that the kingdoms of this earth have been given to the kingdoms of our God. This morning... We're going to look at this prophesied future temple. We could call it the tribulation temple. A temple that I believe is significant for the Jews. Why is it significant? And why is it significant for the tribulation period? I believe that the Jews and your Orthodox Jews today... What they're looking for is that opportunity or that ability to be able to rebuild a temple there on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem today. They're looking for their Messiah to come, that they might rebuild their temple uh, even in our day. It's possible that we're going to see that temple built. Or it could be after the rapture of the church that this temple would be rebuilt. The Bible speaks about really five distinct temples that we can find throughout scripture. It started with that portable tabernacle. Remember when the children of Israel were delivered from the bondage of Egypt? They wandered in the wilderness for those 40 years God had given specific instructions to build a portable tabernacle. This portable tabernacle for the Jews became that place where sinful man could meet God. 
It's where God's presence dwelt within that portable tabernacle that was there in the wilderness. Meaning that as they wandered for 40 years, they could take that thing apart and move it on to the next location. That tabernacle went with them. But if you remember back in the book of Genesis, going back to the Garden of Eden, in chapter 1 and 2, we know that at that time there was no need of a temple. And the reason there was no need of a temple at that time is because there was no sin. There was no separation of man from God. As a matter of fact, we know that God himself walked with Adam in the garden. No separation, no sin, and no need for a temple during that time. But we do know after the fall, after the flood, after the exodus, that God made a way for sinful man to be able to approach God and to be able to receive atonement, a temporary forgiveness of sins. Remember that veil that stood in the temple of God? That veil that divided the holy place from the holies of holies where the Ark of the Covenant stood? That veil separated man from God's glory, from God's presence, from His Shekinah glory, and even from the mercy seat of that tabernacle. It was only the priest that could go behind the veil and make temporary atonement for the sins of man. So the temple, it's significant to the nation of Israel. It still is to many of them today. But I've got some pictures. I think we got one picture here uh, of the temple. There's the portable tabernacle. Just a model, some drawing of it. Portable tabernacle, not original picture. But there's the portable tabernacle. Go to the next slide. There's a model again. You can go to Israel today. You can see this model. They have it actually set up and made it as close to what they believe the original temple would have looked like. The portable tabernacle. And then we had the first permanent tabernacle or temple, excuse me, that was called Solomon's Temple. Now Solomon's Temple... uh, under King David in 967 BC. That's 967 years before Christ. King David, he planned out by God's instruction to build this temple. He gathered the materials to build the temple, but it would not be King David who would build it. It would be his son Solomon who would build the temple according to 1 Chronicles 22. In Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, the children of Israel had become a stubborn people. They had transgressed the law of God. And then we find in Ezekiel 10, we're told that the glory of the Lord had departed from the temple, from Solomon's temple, this beautiful temple that had been built by God's people It was then destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C., according to 2 Kings 25. You can read about that and write these things down if you want to look at them. But 
that was Solomon's temple. We also have what's referred to by the Jews as the second temple. You have the first temple, permanent temple, Solomon's temple. You have the second temple, which is also known as Herod's temple. Now, Herod's temple was really uh, another uh, temple in itself that had its own beauty. I, I think we might, you know, there's, I, I'm not sure if that's the one, but Herod's temple uh, that was built by King Herod. Actually, King Herod actually modified it and expanded it. But King Herod took and the Jews knew it as Herod's temple. This was the temple that existed during the time that Jesus was here on earth. This temple, though, uh, we know um, was rebuilt under the direction of Zerubbabel and also by Nehemiah who rebuilt the walls there. But we know that this temple, this second temple, was also going to be destroyed. We know from Ezra 5.2 that the temple, uh, that it was desecrated at one point by Antichus Epiphanes. Now, when we read that, some people have tried to say, well, Antichus Epiphanes, that's really what happened back in the history of the Jews and the temple was desecrated. They spiritualized the book of Revelation. But that's why I believe that that is a picture of what's going to happen with the Antichrist during the tribulation period. Antichus Epiphanes was someone that took and desecrated the temple. And I believe he's also a picture, if you want to say, of the Antichrist who's going to do the same, do the same thing during the tribulation period. This destruction of the second temple was prophesied by Jesus to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 and 2. Jesus told his disciples as they looked at that beautiful temple that was standing there, Jesus told them that not one stone would be left upon another, that this temple was going to be torn down stone by stone by Jesus himself. And that for the Jews, for his disciples... That was a thought they couldn't even fathom. For 60 years it took to build this thing, and it was going to be torn down stone by stone. Well, we know that that came to pass when Titus and the Roman army came into Jerusalem in 70 AD and took that temple apart, killed 1.1 million Jews. They were dispersed from Israel at that time from the city, and he Desecrate. He took that temple down stone by stone and destroyed the temple that existed then. That leads us to this morning, uh, which I call the great deception. There's going to be a deception upon the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. It's in connection with this temple that's going to be built. Jesus warned in John's Gospel, in chapter 5, verse 43, he warns the Jews that there's going to come a time of deception. He says, I have come in my, name, in my Father's name, 
and you did not receive me, he said to them. If anyone comes in his own name, him you'll receive. Jesus gave a warning. You've rejected me, but there's one coming whom you will receive. And I believe who he's speaking of is that false Messiah that's yet to come. The next temple that we read in scripture that I believe is yet future to be built is going to be the tribulation temple. It's going to be a temple that the Jews today, as a matter of fact, I've been to Israel. I've been into the place where they have all of the elements that are made to go back to worshiping in that temple. They've already got everything made to the specifications that are laid out in scripture. They have them in glass cabinets. They have everything there. The priests have all been trained. And all they need is their temple. All they're waiting for is that peace plan, that peace agreement, that ability to be able to rebuild their temple. And according to the Temple Institute, they can do that quickly. They already have all the plans for the temple. They're already drawn up. And they're ready to go. All they're waiting for is for that perfect time to open up for them to do that. The Tribulation Temple, though, is going to be built during a time when Israel is still living with blinded eyes and in unbelief. But as I shared from the book of Romans, God has a plan that he's going to save a remnant of his people. Why? Because they've been faithful to him? No. But because God is faithful to his word. God will fulfill the promises and the covenants that he made to the nation of Israel. And what he spoke through the prophets, that God will save a remnant of Israel. That's a gracious God. Like I say, just read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Read those chapters if you want to see how merciful and how gracious our God is that even in their rejection, God wants to save a remnant of his people whom he loves. Looking to this tribulation period, this temple, as I shared, is going to be a focal point during the tribulation period. It's going to be uh, all part of even the Antichrist plan, I believe, that deception to draw in many Jews. It's this third temple, this tribulation temple, that many Orthodox Jews today, they're waiting for it. They believe that according to the prophet Zechariah, that when Messiah comes... He's going to rebuild the temple when he comes. We read in Zechariah chapter 6 verse 12. Behold the man. And that man is capitalized. I don't know if we have the scriptures on the screen. Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory. And shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. And so 
the Jews that knew the prophet Zechariah. They knew that when their Messiah comes, their Messiah is going to allow them to rebuild. Their temple will be rebuilt. That's why there's going to be deception. Remember when the Antichrist comes on the scene? That white horse in Revelation chapter 6, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first horse coming on the scene, the white horse that'll make its way, that horse of deception that we might say, I believe is going to be the Antichrist coming on the scene at the beginning of the tribulation period. We also read in the book of Ezekiel, uh, the last nine chapters of the book of Ezekiel have to do with the coming millennial kingdom that is going to also something future that is going to be here on this earth. We as Christians are going to reign with Christ for a thousand years here on earth. It's called the millennial kingdom of Christ. It's called where the Lord is going to take the kingdoms of this world and he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth, sit on the throne of David, and he's going to take back and restore and renew what God intended it always to be, the millennial kingdom. But there's also going to be a millennial temple during that time. You see, all the way through the book of Revelation, it's Jewish you got to read your book of Revelation through the eyes of a Jew to really grab hold of what we're, much of what we see through the book of Revelation. They understood a lot of this, uh, these pictures of things in, that we see uh, in the book of Revelation. And so why is this temple so significant to these end times events? In... Um, In the past, I've shared uh, on a number of occasions that there's really two pieces of real estate that are important for the Jew, of, of great significance to the Jew. One of them is their land. And the reason why is because God had given them boundaries. God had given them specific boundaries that he says, this is my land. You're my people and I've given this land to you. This is God's land. These are God's borders that he laid out. The other part of the real estate that is important to the Jews is the temple. So it's the land and it's the temple that are of great significant significance Excuse me, to the Jews. We've already... Uh, looked at this chapter, uh, but one of the most significant prophecies that's been fulfilled in our lifetime. Think of this. This has happened, a prophecy that has come to pass in your lifetime. That's how important Bible prophecy is. And it's the prophecy of the dry bones. It's the prophecy that God was going to take the, his people, the nation of Israel, and bring them back into their what? Into their land. And what are they still waiting for? Their temple. 
And why is that significant to a Jew? Because everything is about the land. It's about the law too. It's about the land, the law, and the temple. Those are the three things for every practicing Jew that would be important to them. Our enemy, the devil we call him, the deceiver we call him that also, he's very cunning. He's crafty. He's deceptive. Have you found that out in your own life? That your enemy, the devil, is very crafty. He's deceptive. And even for the nation of Israel, he's got a way of deception that is going to deceive many. When he comes on the scene as that white horse, he's going to come on as as the Messiah, I believe. He's going to come on the scene as the one that's going to have the answers to the problems that are there in Israel today. He's going to make a peace agreement with the nation of Israel. And I believe that many of the Jews are going to buy in to the deception. The nation of Israel, even as I speak, is defending their land. If you, if you went on and found something that was talking about news going on in Israel right now, you could always find something where Israel is on a continual high alert to defend themselves from all the nations that surround them. Continually defending their land. They'd like to, many would like to regain Control, or they would, excuse me, they would even like to regain control of that Temple Mount. I think I have a picture of the Temple Mount. One with, uh, well, you can see one picture there. You see the big gold dome in the middle of it? Uh, The dome, that's the Muslims' mosque that's there on the Temple Mount. This whole Temple Mount, there's another aerial shot you can see of it, I think, somewhere. But this whole Temple Mount is currently, present day, it's being controlled by the Arabs. Now, the Arabs were given this ability to control the Temple Mount because after the, uh, the uh, war, uh, six-day war, they met, the Muslims met with the prime minister at the time, and the prime minister, as a good gesture... He gave the Arabs the ability to control the Temple Mount. That created a problem. I think they wished they never had done that because it's been an area of dispute ever since. As a matter of fact, if you go to Israel today, a Jew is not allowed up on the Temple Mount. If you're a Christian and you go up on the Temple Mount and you make it known that you're a Christian up there, many of those Arabs will mock you for being up on that Temple Mount. This is a place that the enemy really has a stronghold in now. But can you see how when the Antichrist comes on the scene and he has a plan, some way through some peace agreement that he'll, these Jews will be able to once again go back to their old form of worship, have a rebuilt temple. But here's the greatest part of the deception. When Messiah comes, he's going to allow us 
to rebuild our temple. Well, we know that the Messiah already came 2,000 years ago. That's our Messiah, Jesus Christ. The coming Messiah for the Jews is going to be a deceptive Messiah. It's going to be the Antichrist himself. We know that from the book of Daniel, and we've already looked at this, another prophecy concerning this particular time in Daniel 9.27, we read about the Antichrist coming on the scene and making a peace treaty with Israel. Uh, and it's really going to be a lie. It says then in verse 27, then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That one week is a seven-year period of time. He's going to confirm a covenant or a peace treaty with many for one week. But then it says, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolation, desolate. This is going to be, I believe, during the middle of the tribulation period. The temple, tribulation temple has been rebuilt. And in the middle of that tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to change his tune. He's going to change his colors. He's actually going to go into the temple area. His armies are going to be now stationed there around the area of Jerusalem. He's going to come into the temple itself and put his own image within the temple and demand that he be worshipped as God. That is going to be a day for the nation of Israel. Those who have looked for their Messiah when they're going to realize we've been deceived. In Daniel uh, chapter 12 verse 11 we read, and from the time of time that the daily sacrifice is taken away from the temple, he's talking about, and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Now here's something that's really important for us to know. If you were to mark that verse down, Daniel 12:11, you'll see that it's very specific. It says, from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, from the time that the Antichrist comes and sets up his image in the temple, at the middle of the tribulation period, from that point you could actually start marking it down. 1,290 days. Become, well, if you notice, 1,260 days is actually three and a half years, but here he's saying 1,260. 90 days, an extra 30 days that we see. And then if you read on, you'll notice in the book of Daniel that it actually says in verse 12, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days, which puts it, makes it an extra 75 days that's going to follow the seven-year tribulation period before the thousand-year millennial reign begins. 75 days. So what happens during the 70 day, 75 days, and I believe these are literal, literal days, in between the end of the tribulation 
and the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. It's believed that during this time that Jesus is going to be setting up his government, possibly. This is a little bit of speculation, but possibly setting up his government for the millennial kingdom to come shortly. But also during this time, we can read in the book of Matthew, in chapter 25, Jesus talks about, in chapter 25, the judgment of the nations. Whenever you see the word nation throughout scripture, it's referring to the nations that are outside of Israel. You're either in the Bible, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. There's no other, it's either Jew or Gentile. And you're either the nation of Israel or you're the nations that are out there. The nations are all the nations that are outside, the non-Jewish Gentile nations that are out there. And so there's going to be a judgment of these nations by in uh, Matthew 25 uh, that is going to be before possibly before the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, and we've looked at this before, he says to his disciples on that day, not only did he tell them that the, the temple was going to be destroyed, but he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, He's referring back to Daniel chapter 12. When you see him standing in the holy place, and the holy place is inside the tribulation temple there, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Who would be in Judea at that time? Who's in Judea? Jerusalem. The holy, that whole area. It's Jews. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. So in other words, he's saying, what you, when you see the desolation of abomination, it's time to run. It's time to flee. It's time to make your way out to the wilderness, out to where I believe is Petra in the area of Basra, this city that is a fortress city. I wish I had a picture to show you now, but this fortress city that I believe a remnant of God's people will flee to. When he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, then it's time to flee. And he says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Why? Because it's going to be hard. And pray that your flight be not in winter or on the Sabbath. Who would be concerned about the Sabbath? The Jews. Uh, for when there will be, he says, for then there will be great tribulation. Where are we at in our uh, timeline right now for Revelation around the middle of the tribulation. What is the second half of the tribulation referred to as? The great tribulation. All of it is the tribulation period. The second half is referred to as the great tribulation. Jesus says, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world 
until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And so we know that as you read Matthew 24 in context, uh, it's, it's basically in chronological order that this event is going to happen at the middle of the tribulation period. Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, all three of them, remember the Antichrist is going to be indwelt by Satan himself. Did you know that? He's going to be indwelt by Satan. And the false prophet is just going to go on behalf of the Antichrist, making him look good and making him look real and doing uh, false miracles, but doing things that will make the Antichrist look like the one they've been waiting for. The Antichrist is going to have a peace plan. He's going to have... Uh, the ability probably through this peace plan to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple. He's also going to come on the scene as their Messiah because he's the one that has paved this way and made it possible for them to rebuild their temple. It's just going to be a time of deception for Israel during the tribulation period. In the book of Thessalonians and in Second Thessalonians um, chapter two, Paul writing uh, to the church, he warned about a man of sin. He's called the man of sin, and I believe that man of sin is again the Antichrist. He will, Paul says, he will one day sit in the temple, showing himself that he is God. He's going to tell the Jews, you need to worship me. I'm God. You need to worship me. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless a falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and that is worship, so that he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so we see this deception and we see how this temple is works together. There's actually, I've got one slide of, of the temple sites. If you can see, um, you see the, you can see up uh, on the screen there, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Alost Mosque, the Dome of the Rock, and the third temple uh, over onto the side. Those three locations, uh, that gold dome is where many believe that the tribulation temple will be built. But for that to be built, you got to tear down the dome, don't you? You got to demolish the gold dome, which is the third most holy site for the Muslim, uh, Muslim religion today. That is going to be difficult to do, to take that thing out. It's possible. But the other would be to the right of that dome. The other is where that al mosque stands, that some also believe that that's where the original temple stood. Talking about Herod's temple, talking about Solomon and Herod's temple stood in that location. For the Jews to rebuild their temple, they need to rebuild it on the site, the exact site of where that original temple stood. There are some that believe 
that if, and the reason why they don't know exactly where it is right now, because you can't, no archeologist can go up there today. Nobody can get up there and do uh, uh, testing to find out where the original temple stood. And so it's still in question, but there are some that believe that it could be to the right of that dome or to the left of the dome. And why could that be significant? Because we read in our text that John was instructed not to measure the court of the Gentiles. Now, if that mosque were, or the temple, excuse me, were to be built to the right of that gold mosque, it's very possible that that gold dome sits in the court of the Gentiles. I have another um, picture that I think up there that kind of shows the area of the court of the Gentiles. Uh, Yeah, not that one. It's the last one. Last slide, I think. There you go. So you see the temple there, and you, you can't probably see it, especially those of you in the back. But there's a small wall that goes around the whole temple. Everything on the outside of that wall was, to the Jew, was the court of the Gentiles. You had the temple proper. Every Jew could go behind uh, that short wall and go into the temple area. But not into the temple, but into the temple area. But on the outskirts of that short wall that surrounded the temple, that was called the court of the Gentiles. And Jew or Gentiles were not allowed to go past that wall. And so here we see what's interesting is that John is instructed not to measure the court or the court of the Gentiles. We read in, in verse 1, John was given a reed to measure a measuring rod. Now, these, uh, this reed that he was uh, given to measure with would have been uh, the same reed, actually, that the guards used when they mocked Jesus. Remember when they gave him a scepter? These were long reeds that were grown there uh, in the area that could be made into writing instruments. They could be made into uh, measuring sticks. And that's what John is being given to measure out this temple area. We, um, so why was John instructed to measure this temple? We, we can find several places in scripture where God instructs people to measure things. This is what's important and I think why it's being measured. In the book of Zechariah in chapter 2, we, uh, we know that Zechariah was given this vision of a measuring line. The angel was sent to measure Jerusalem, to measure its width and length. And God says this, and God says, this is my city and I will divinely protect it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her and I will be the glory of in her midst. And so a measuring line was given uh, to Zechariah to measure out uh, the city. In the book of Ezekiel, in the vision of Ezekiel was taken, uh, the land of Israel, God set him up on a high mountain where he showed him a vision of the coming millennial kingdom. And we read in verse 2, and on it towards the south, something like a structure of a city 
And then in verse 3, he took me there and behold, there was a man who appears, whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. And he had a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand. And he stood in the gateway. In Revelation chapter 21, we see John sees this new Jerusalem that's descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God upon it. And this is going to be uh, during the millennial reign. And he talked with me, he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. And so we see all these occasions in scripture where God's instructing people to measure things, measure the city, measure the temple, measure the, uh, the, the new Jerusalem and all the details that are given in that. And what's characteristic of all of them is that basically God is saying in the measuring of these things, these things belong to me. These things are mine. This is my people. This is my temple. This is my city. And that's what God does in in these measurings. And so this act of measuring tells us that what God is saying and through uh, John here as he's measuring this tribulation temple, he says, measure the temple that consists of my temple. These are my people, but don't measure the court of the Gentiles, those nations, those that are on the outside of that temple don't measure that and so this act of measuring can also indicate like a separation between a portion which is God's God says this part is mine and the portion that I reject the part that's on the outside is what I reject that outer court those Gentile nations those that have been treading upon you my people For all of these centuries that God's people have been under the hand of the Gentiles. This separation of the temple, the altar, the worshipers, and God's protection upon them is one thing that we need to see. But the other thing that we need to see is this outer court. The Gentile nations themselves. And if it's true in that uh, tribulation temple, if it's true that they are able to rebuild that and that mosque can remain there, that'd be really interesting to me. I don't know if that's the way it'll come down. I don't know if that peace agreement with the Antichrist will allow that to happen. Some have speculated that that could be the case. But I think it'd be really interesting that the Gentiles there on the Temple Mount and God's people in that tribulation temple are residing side by side. A peace agreement. Remember, it's going to be a peace treaty between the Antichrist and and his people Israel. But we have in verse 2, but leave out the court, which is outside the temple, And do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city. That holy city is Jerusalem. Underfoot for 42 months. For three and a half years. 
Now, the Greek scholar A.T. Robertson said that to tread the holy city underfoot, it means to trample with contempt. And what has Israel been contending with forever, really? The Gentile nations of this world trampling upon them. It hasn't changed. It's there today. And so he's instructed to leave out the court that was on the outside of the temple. The time of the Gentiles, as, which is referred to in scripture as the time of the Gentiles, it really started when the Jews were taken into captivity. Remember when they were taken into the Babylonian captivity and the nations that Daniel saw in his vision that were going to rise up, these kingdoms that were going to rise? Those were all Gentile kingdoms. And what were they doing with the nation? They were, for all of these years, they became Israel's enemies. The time of the Gentiles. The time where they would trample God's people. Will that happen during the tribulation period? Yes, it will. It'll happen and it will continue even to this day it is, but it will go into the tribulation period. But what we know from Revelation chapter 19 is that the time of the Gentiles is going to come to an end. When is it going to come to an end? When Jesus Christ comes back at his second coming. And after that, as I already shared, or even possibly in that 75-day interval, between the end of the tribulation and the millennium, there's going to be the judgment of the nations, according to Matthew chapter 25. But we read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, at Christ's second coming, Now I saw heaven opened, John says, and behold, a white horse. Now this white horse is different than the white horse of Revelation chapter 6. This white horse has Jesus Christ coming back. And it says, And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, I believe that's those that know Christ that are coming back with him. They followed him on white horses. You like any of your white horses? There you go. Followed him on white horses. And now out of his mouth, we're told, goes a sharp sword, that he should strike who? The nations. The end. At the second coming of Jesus Christ. That time of the Gentiles. Which we are still under now. Is going to come to fulfillment. The tribulation period. That seven year period is going to end. God is going to come back first. To that area of Petra. To that area of Basra. He's going to deliver a remnant of his people Israel. He's going to save. It says in Zechariah that they are going to look on him whom they have pierced. They're going to realize at that moment that they had missed the real Messiah. 
they had been deceived by the Antichrist and the false Messiah. The real Messiah is now here. He's going to save a remnant of his people. And then God is going to, Jesus is going to end up there in the battle of Armageddon. At the valley of Jehoshaphat. In the place where the nations of this earth, we're told, are going to gather together for the great day of that battle. And the Lord is going to smite the nations with the very word of his mouth in that day. And so why does there need to be a tribulation temple? Because Israel is the focus. It's the focal point of the seven-year tribulation period. God is dealing with Gentiles. Gentiles will be saved. Jews will be saved also. But Israel is at a focal point throughout the seven-year tribulation period. That's important to note. It's important to note as you watch your news. Here's what I would tell you to do. Look at your news. See, what, listen to anything that has to do with the Temple Mount. You know, listen to anything that has to do with Russia right now and all the nations that are with. You know, watch these things because these things, are, I believe, are all fulfillment of things that I believe are going to happen in the near future. Watch Russia. Watch the nations. Read Ezekiel 38 and 39. Look at the, the nations that are going to line up against Israel in these days. So anyway, let's, uh, let's have Kyle come up and, and close us out in a worship song. Let's all stand. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you have given us even the amount of details that you've given us. Lord, we're not even going to be here. The church is not even going to be here during the tribulation period. We're going to be with you in heaven, Lord. And so we rejoice in that. But Lord, as we consider the things to come, as we consider really even the nation of Israel, Lord, that we might pray for the nation of Israel, that that many, Lord, would come to know you even now. But Lord, even in that day, God, we're so thankful that you're a merciful God that wants to save, Lord, the people whom he loves, whom you love. And Lord, you want to save all. Lord, you're not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's your heart. And Lord, I pray that even this morning, Lord, that we would lay our hearts out before you. And Lord, we would have clean hearts and clean hands. And Lord, that we would prepare ourselves for that day, Lord, that we would be waiting in anticipation Lord, for today could be the day that we would stand face to face with you. Lord, let that be a reality in our hearts. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.